0: And uh, so, as if you've been with us in our church for or online for the last few months, you know that we've been looking um, at the Book of Acts. It's Luke, Luke, Doctor Luke's story is uh, the, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, writes his second gospel, really. The the things that happen after Jesus uh, rose rose from the dead and then ascended to heaven, and what happened in his wake after the Spirit is sent. Um, so he's writing to uh, to the first christians let's get on to the powerpoint slide and so the gospel the good news of jesus that jesus is lord the long-awaited messiah that's been for thousands of years in in the in the waiting uh, has happened and uh, the gospel this good news is breaking new ground and um, last couple of weeks we've met uh, we've seen how it's broken ground through somebody called Philip who wasn't one of the apostles wasn't they one of the original disciples but was uh, comes onto the scene and we saw that how the gospel spreads to uh, a region where Jews and uh, Samarians, Samarians Samarians didn't really get on with Jews and Jews didn't really get on with Samaria they didn't see things the same way even though the Samarians had a faith of their own and actually we see this amazing couple of weeks ago we saw how an amazing revival took place how Samaria accepted the word of god and as we sung this morning the same jesus that turned water into wine that healed the sick and the broken was doing it through people like philip uh, and he said that didn't he to his apostles to his to his disciples you're going to do greater things than i did in my name and that's we're seeing it fulfilled last week we saw how the gospel spreads even further this time down so down south uh, philip's told by the spirit isn't he, he hears the spirit's call to go down south he doesn't know what he's going to do and he doesn't know who's going to meet there but he does he meets a a one an individual uh, an ethiopian eunuch and he shares the good news of jesus starting with the the prophet of isaiah Um, and then as in church history we believe that that was the start of the gospel actually taking root in africa so the gospel is spreading and um actually in spite of enemies um the persecution only accelerates the mission, interestingly, isn't it? So we've got this. We've we've met Saul, haven't we, a few weeks ago? And uh, Saul's the one who's who's this Pharisee, this this religious zealot, really, this absolute fundamental religious zealot, but an aggressive one who sees that what these guys are doing is is blasphemous. That actually preaching about Jesus being the long waited Messiah. Well, that's blasphemy. And uh, so he thinks he's doing God's work by trying to stamp it all out. And he makes it his mission, his life mission, to go and stamp out this new new movement. And actually, um, today's story is set um, in Syria. So the gospel's already spread north, past Samaria, and into parts of Syria. And it's set on the way to Damascus. Um, So Morag is going to read today's passage for us. It's from Acts chapter 9, from from verse 1 onwards.
1: For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a, na- a man named Ananias come to hit and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, He regained his strength.
0: Great, thank you, Morag. So we're uh, in this passage today, it's really a a tale of two visions. Uh, We have a vision uh, of Saul. Actually, interestingly in the passage, Luke doesn't say he has a vision, he says he 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 was blinded by a light and he heard a voice. But actually when Saul becomes Paul, changes his name and writes to the early churches, he will describe this account as a vision. So, uh, so we have, we have uh, his vision and we have Ananias' vision. Both of them were reluctant. Saul, a reluctant convert. In fact, probably the exact opposite of what you expect to happen to Saul happens in this story. And Ananias, and perhaps understandably, is a reluctant minister. So um, Saul, what's his story? Well, as we've said already, he's incredibly zealous for God. He loves God. And he loves the law and he sees it as his duty to uh, to uphold that. And he sees these new, these the, the, the followers of the way, as uh, Luke describes it in this particular passage, they're not called Christians yet, um, as basically disrupting that and, and leading people astray, actually. Um, the problem with his zeal is that it's completely misplaced, isn't it? So if you think about other religious zealots in the world today, there are lots of them, Um, and an obvious one, when I was thinking about this passage is set in Damascus, which is in Syria. Well, we can think of some religious zealots that were only in this region not not that long ago, and uh, ISIS come to mind. Five years ago, they came to this very city, Damascus, capturing people and killing people and torturing people who don't follow their idea of God. They think they're doing God's work, but actually, obviously, we know they're not, Um, and including Christians. Saul thinks he's doing God's work by trying to stamp out this movement, and God actually has to bring him to his knees in order for him to see it. He's blinded by this great light, and he hears God's voice and falls to the ground. In a moment, his life is completely changed around. What about Ananias, then? Well, he's one of the beneficiaries, isn't he, of this gospel movement, Moving?, and he's a, a non-Jew he's a, who who now has accepted God's grace, accepted through Jesus uh, the 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 benefit. He's been the beneficiary of what God always intended for non-Jews, which was t- for them to know their Creator and for them to serve Him and to live a life full of knowing Him. And uh, he's reluctant, and you can understand why, can't you? I mean, try and imagine it. I mean, even five years ago in Damascus, if you were a Christian and uh, you know ISIS roll into town and they kill. Uh, burnt down your church. Lots of churches and uh, religious sites were burnt down. Um, people you know, perhaps even people in your family, killed, horribly treated, brutally treated. And then he gets this this uh, message from God, this, this strong impression, this voice that tells him to get up and go to the very house of one of the people who's been doing the, who's been presiding over all this horrible stuff, who's been hurting people he knows who've been burning down churches. I mean, you would be reluctant, wouldn't you? You'd be thinking, if I get this wrong, this is, I mean, I'm dead. <laughs> You're dead, aren't you? I mean, it, uh, plus the fact that, you know, what, how much hurt, hurt, hurt and uh, pain has this guy felt and the people that he knows? And God uh, has told him to go and, go and actually be, minister to the very person who's presiding over this persecution. It's quite a comical little uh, exchange between Ananias and God, and it's not the first time that comedy has been used in Luke's Gospel in the second gospel, Um, Ananias reminds God, and I don't know if you've ever done this when you're praying. Sometimes I do. Where you actually speak into God as if he doesn't know what's going on already? Um, I do that quite a lot, actually. Like, God, God, well, this is happening, and God's like, yeah, I know that already. So Ananias is saying to God, reminding God that Saul's a really dangerous man. You know what he's come to Damascus to do? He's come to take people like me away and have us flogged and persecuted and possibly even stoned to death like Stephen. And God says, yeah, I know all that. I, I know everything. Um, and God still um, tells him to go and do it. And interestingly, Ananias, uh, in spite of his sort of initial reluctance, he actually does uh, show incredibly, incredible courage and bravery, doesn't he? He obeys God. And he must have had an, inc- it must have been very strong, this 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 idea of being able to hear God's voice. Because, as I say, if he gets it wrong, things are, in, he's in absolute uh, turmoil, isn't he? So we've got a reluctant convert in Saul. We've got a reluctant minister in Ananias What happens to both of them is that God meets them, stops them in their tracks and actually changes their life plans completely. God changes history through this little this little encounter. And what it reminds me of is something that Neil, if you've ever been in our church and heard, heard Neil preach for over the years, he said this a few times and it's just come back to me this time was that when we become Christians, we don't enlist God on our cause. We don't say, right, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian now, right now I've got, my life is sort of supercharged by having God on my side. Not at all. God is the other way around. God enlists us onto his mission, doesn't he? He calls us and says, right, I've got a mission for you to share the good news of Jesus. I'm enlisting you onto my cause. You're not enlisting me onto yours. And this is kind of both of these guys prior to this encounter thought they were doing God's work and God had to completely stop them in their tracks. Saul thought he was doing God's work by persecuting the church and he had to die to that. He had to, he had to completely stop what he was doing. Ananias thought he had to, had a responsibility to protect the church from people at Saul and you can understand completely why, but God had to say, no, I don't need you to do that anymore. I want you to change. I want you to go into this house. So And it just reminded me that when we decide to follow Jesus, we we really need to submit to his authority and his plans for our lives. And not just say, well, yeah, I've got all my plans and now I've got God on my side. Well, actually, no, God might actually cause you to change your plans completely. And some of you might well know how that feels. So the question I had after this was about, obviously, we've had last week we had Philip uh, being sent by the Spirit and, you know, hearing God's voice and this week, we've got two visions, encounters, and uh, the question, an obvious question, is does God still do this sort of thing? Does God still get people's attention in this sort of way, in dramatic ways? Does he still um, stop people in their tracks and change them 180? Well, the obvious answer to this is yes. Um, I mean, not everybody's conversion is as dramatic as Paul's, is it? But nevertheless, you might actually recognize a similar pattern in your own conversion. So step one, God gradually, uh, or, or maybe not gradually in this case, um, gets your attention. He stops you in your tracks. He causes you to, to have a time of reflection to think about, actually, what's important in life and who am I and is there a God? And Saul's, Saul's time of reflection was only three days, wasn't it? So he had three days where he didn't eat or drink anything. We're not sure why. Maybe it was just the shock of the vision. Maybe it was just this, my life has been heading in a completely different direction and I need time to just process it. But for you, it might have been three years. It could have been 30 years. You might have felt God's call over a a longer period of time. Um, And then he's ministered to by Ananias. He needs somebody else to come. It's interesting, isn't it? Why does God need Ananias to go around? Why can't God just sort him out without Ananias? And it's that amazing fact that God wants to use people like us to go and minister to other people. God could do it on His own, but He chooses people like you and me. And Ananias was one of those. And uh, you will have been ministered to by other people, perhaps a few people over the time of, of your reflection and waiting to, to, to make a decision for Christ, and uh, people that that maybe either sort of confirmed truth to you, helped you to understand the Bible, um, or maybe just just witnessing that sort of you know natural way that, that, that Christians do. And then once you've made that, actually, you've had this moment of, now I see it. Now I see that God really is real. Uh, Jesus really did rise from the dead. You've got this moment of of wanting to tell people, having a public declaration. And that's what baptism is, isn't it? All through the the book of Acts, you see, when people get get changed, they want to show everybody else that their life has changed. They get baptised. Saul does it in this story. The Ethiopian unit did it straight away. His first response was, what's stopping me getting baptised? So I just encourage you today as well, if you've not been baptized, well, think about it, because that's a, that's a public declaration of what God's done in your life and do in your life. So <clears throat> does God still do it? Actually, yes, he does it in much more understated ways, but he does still do it in dramatic ways. I've got a really good example in uh, of somebody I know. I was in a band with 20 years ago, <clears throat> and um, excuse me. <clears throat> um, this guy had a vision or a dream that changed his life. and. Um, he was a man in his late 20s, uh, intelligent, well-travelled, um, but incredibly fixed in his opinions of philosophies of life. he you know, done studied bits of philosophy and religion, and he come to the, the conclusion that it was all basically a load of rubbish. It was a load of way of controlling people and you know, all that sort of stuff, causes wars and all that stuff. So he used to say all that sort of thing. Um, so he was a, re- he's a really nice guy. I still, I still spoke to him this week. Um, but he was aggressively against religion and very very you know you couldn't tell him different and we said when we'd have gigs we'd sometimes stay around and have a drink or we'd go back to someone's house sometimes we'd even go on to like a nightclub um, and i remember one particular time when my wife morag was uh, having a discussion with him a heated debate as Mrs. Merton would say. And they were basically arguing almost in the street about God and whether God exists. And I remember him going, well, maybe when I get to like you know, 70, 80 years old and I'm scared to death, then maybe, yeah, maybe then I will accept it. But it's just a lot of rubbish. When I'm scared, yeah, maybe. And I just remember this very vivid moment. We'd had lots of debates about about God and, and faith and um, basically witnessing and being a good witness and arguing no amount of doing that would make any difference to this guy. He was so fixed in his philosophy and in his ways of thinking that nothing was going to argue him uh, otherwise. Anyway, a few years later, we finished with the band and um, I'd not really seen him very much. He rings me out of the blue and says, Ian, I've, I've just had a really, really, really weird night. Um, I, ha- I, had a, I had a dream. I had a dream. And in the dream I woke up and uh, I was in a cold sweat and Jesus was on the cross and God was saying to me, you need to accept Jesus. and I went back to sleep thinking this is just one of those weird dreams you have. But he had it again the same night. He had it a couple of times in a row. And he woke up absolutely, utterly convinced that God was getting his attention, that Jesus really did rise from the dead for him. And um, it was a a complete and utter surprise to me, uh, as it was to him. And uh, it was amazing. And his whole thinking was changed in an instant. After years of us trying to speak to him and, and to sort of, Argue and debate and show him in other ways. He wasn't having any of that. But God got his attention, and it just reminded me that God still does that sort of stuff. Maybe it's sometimes. I know. I know most people say, "Well, if God God shows me that He exists, then 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 I'll believe." And well, actually, you know, that's not necessarily the way God always works. But God does do that, and He did it in my friend's life, uh, and I, and I was reminded again this week. He did it in. You know, He does it in in some of the most hardened criminals that become completely and utterly changed by the love of Jesus. Um, one, uh, Shane Taylor, I've been reading his um, his biography, an amazing account of a guy who was basically in prison for, he was in the maximum security prison. He was in the top six uh, people in in the UK have been the bit like the watch list, basically the most dangerous men in Britain. And he had an, an incredibly unexpected encounter through a humble minister doing an alpha course in the prison. Life completely changed around. And there's countless examples of that. So does God still do this sort of thing? <clears throat> yes, he does. We might not all have this amazing vision experience or dream or audible voice, but God is still in the business of changing people's lives and changing them quite dramatically. Each of us needs to be ministered to, though. And um, I was just thinking, like, what what can we learn from the story? Obviously, there's always loads of stuff you can apply in these stories, but just three things, at, at least, that we can, we can sort of apply to our lives. So first thing is, nobody is beyond redemption you know um, it doesn't matter how hard their heart is it doesn't matter how evil their life has been to this point the scandal the beautiful scandal of the gospel is that it doesn't matter how bad a person you are we all come with completely clean slates when we come to jesus jesus cleans a slate jesus is the one who who takes the punishment we deserve he's the one each one of us falls short you might be a really good person you might be a more moral person than a lot of christians but you still fall short of god's glory But in this case, in Saul's case, he's a murdering terrorist, and he didn't deserve God's grace any more than or any any less than we do, but he wasn't beyond God's redemption. So we refuse to write people off, no matter how bad they are, no matter how far away you think they might be from God. Maybe you might be watching this today and think, actually, I've done some pretty bad things, maybe not as bad as Saul. I'd be surprised if you'd done that. But you might be thinking, well, God's not going to accept someone like me because... I've not been a great person. I'm not a particularly moral person. Well, the good news is that if he can change somebody like Saul, he can change something like you. And if he calls to people like Saul and changes his life, then he calls to you today. Secondly is that um, no act of obedience is wasted. Ananias, in spite of his, rel- his uh, initial reluctance, was it- was obeyed it a- God, didn't he? He did actually follow what God said. And um, so it just reminded me that no matter what God asks us to do, um, you know, we should we should obey. Now we might he might not give us dramatic things like that where we have to sell up and become missionaries in China, um, although he might do that. Is he speaking to you today about that? Um actually he might just be calling you to be obeying the small things, continuing to have integrity at work, continuing to treat your husband or wife well, and treat, treating you the way you treat your kids, the way you speak to people. Um, so nothing is wasted and God sees every act of obedience and thirdly that God can use each one of us to minister to other people he used Ananias when he could have just done it on his own and uh, and the good news is today that that he still wants to use you as well so we will serve whoever we meet and the thing about being a Christian is that you can't just do this with people you like you know, if it's friendship, you can you can choose for your friends, can't you? you can say, well, actually, I don't really like that person, so I'm not really gonna, I don't really have to talk to them. As a Christian, that's not really an option in many ways because God if God calls you to speak to somebody. If He puts somebody in your workplace that you don't really like, well, it's not an option. You still you're, you're still the witness to that person, so you have to do that. And actually, he must have taken an incredible amount of grace and forgiveness from Ananias' part to do it to Saul. Can you imagine the hatred he must have had in his heart towards Saul? And you that you would understand it. Um, But he he obeyed God and he served him. And it was through Ananias' obedience that Saul regained his sight. But more than that, he uh, received the Holy Spirit. So some questions to ponder. At least three questions for reflection as I come to a close. The first one is, is there anybody you've given up on? Maybe uh, Maybe you've been praying for somebody for many years to become a Christian or just to change. In some way maybe they're already christian and they, they just need to change um and it's easy to give up when nothing seems to change could Saul would seem the most far away person from god didn't he but he changed 180 degrees his life was changed around in a moment god could change could change that person's life so just encourage you to keep praying keep witnessing keep being the light of that, that person is there anybody you've given up on or attempted to give up on Who's God putting your way to minister to? What about at this particular moment? So it might be different at the moment during lockdown than it was six months ago when you were in. You know when you were when things were different. Maybe it's just your neighbour. Maybe your neighbour said to you, "I'm going on going to a caravan and I want you to water my plants," um, as our neighbour does. Uh, maybe it's somebody who's struggling to for shopping and actually you could be the one who ministers to them by getting them some shopping. It could just be. Sending somebody a message you, you haven't seen for a while. Who's God putting in your path this moment? If you don't do that work, who else is going to do it? So who's God calling you to at this particular moment to minister to? And then finally, a big grand question, really, which is, you know, not something you can answer straight away, but are you living for God's plans? Are you asking God what he wants of your life? Or actually, have you got into that trap of just basically doing whatever you want and asking God to bless it? It's really tempting, isn't it, for us to do that? So I'm just going to give some time, a couple of minutes, and, and ask Lana to to um, to play while we do that. And if you might want to write those questions down, um, you might want it to just be you, between you and God, and you might want to just pray and think about it. But you may also want to put in the chat as well while uh, while, while Lana's playing, uh, playing about and just in your response to these questions or anything else that's come up in the sermon. So we're going to give a few minutes without rushing on to, I need the next bit of it uh, for you to do that.